the free for all roundtable. Round two. On round two this morning, let's say good morning to Bob Richardson. He is senior counsel at National Public Relations. Michelle Morrow is a music teacher and People's Voice Award winner. Pavan Brach, serial entrepreneur in marketing, tech, and real estate development. He's got a lot of files. He's also a part-time farmer. Good morning, everybody, and let's start with Olivia Chow because a poll finds that her approval rating has dropped from 75%, which is just nuts, to 55%, which is still better than most politicians. Bob Richardson, should she lose? It's quite the drop. Or should she worry? It's quite the drop. Uh, I'd be a a little bit worried about that extent of a drop. But the the truth is, look, I think she's exceeded expectations. Uh, She's she's quite knowledgeable. I forgot that she had been a counselor for 14 years. She's personal, personable. She's moderate. uh, And she's service-focused, which I think is good. King Street's a a good example of that. Her problem is um, uh, a couple of stupid things. Dundas Square is an example. Nobody, and I repeat, nobody in the city thinks that's a good idea. It's, It's ridiculous. It's been poorly researched both on Dundas and in in the new new name and on taxes it's just too high uh, the the amount that she wants from property taxpayers and there really was no focus in that budget on spending and there was no focus on uh, trying to uh, uh, bring down spending and there was no focus on innovation so she's got some work uh, to do at city hall but i think overall she should be uh, pretty proud of uh, the uh, performances she's put uh, put in to date. Yeah, Michelle, there's always going to be a honeymoon, and apparently, according to this pollster, it's coming to an end. But I think there's sort of the euphoria, yay, new mayor, oh, chain of office, that's fun, sworn in, this is cool, everything's going fine, let's have a summer, and then the budget arrives, and it's, what, 9.5%? Yeah, it's a it's a big it's a big tax increase. And also it's a big drop for her. But at the same time, she was so high in the polls before she really had nowhere to go but down. And um, I kind of bothers me when people use like, oh, the honeymoon phase is over because, yeah, the honeymoon phase might be over. But there still could be a really great marriage up ahead. You know, just because we're not enamored with each other doesn't mean that she can't get stuff done and that the city doesn't need for her to get stuff done. We are deeply in debt. We need new sources of income. But I do agree. I'd like to tag on to what Bob said is that um, there's great there's lots of mention of these uh, uh, tax increases, but there's not a lot of spending cuts, and I think we can't have one without the other. Pavan, 55%. I'm not sure if there's a single other Canadian politician with 55%. <laughs> They'll all take it, I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. no, as, as Bob and Michelle said, you can only go down, really, from 75%. So, yeah, she's she's good. I'd be interested in a poll from taxpayers, specifically, versus just all Torontonians, because I think I think there's a lot of concern. She's had a, you know, to me, she's had a very grandmotherly way of talking about the issues and soothing and very supportive. But, you know, when you look behind some of the things that she's doing, I mean, the other day, she, you know, as I commented before, I mean, pointing out that a lady was facing rent eviction in an apartment building. And so, you know, she just kind of kindly said, so we found some money and we bought the apartment building, but she's buying it with taxpayer money. And, you know, this is something that, you know, no other, you know, it's not really happening in the rest of the world other than possibly Hamilton, where they're also doing the same thing. It's not normal. We have to find a way, I think, and she's going to be challenged to find a way to spend better. You know, the other big issue, of course, 911 calls. I mean, it shouldn't go another 
entire day when it takes two to three minutes for a call to be answered. So I don't know how long it'll last. I think she, she can only head down south. Justin Trudeau made an appearance at an Ontario brewery. And next thing you know, all the online reviews were, I hate this place. I'd never go. The beer is poison. Michelle Morrow, I mean, first of all, maybe we shouldn't follow reviews of any kind, but it just seems that you know, people are becoming more and more abusive. And it's not just Justin Trudeau. I'm sure as payback, the next appearance that Pierre Polyev makes is probably going to produce the same result. Yeah, I definitely can't say that this is a one-side only reaction. I feel like it would happen with, no matter who it was, there would be people up in arms. I feel awful for this business. They're not far from me. And so I kind of want to go and just support them. I know a lot of my friends really do check out reviews online. They really do influence uh, where people go. And I hate that this is the reaction that people are having. It's why are you, what good comes from tanking a business? How does that make you a better citizen of your country? How does that make you a better person by tanking a business simply because they hosted someone who is a political leader? It's not as if they hosted someone who is completely on the fringe, like a member of the KKK or something. This is a political leader, and they feel like it's that offensive that they have to tank this business. I hate it. Pavan, I checked out some of the reviews, and what they were really lacking was any kind of authenticity, because either they were reviews that I think were written by people who wanted to cheer the owner up, or they were, you know, political attacks, and those ones were taken Mm -hmm. down. Yeah, well, that's good. That's good to know. I mean, you know, listen, I, you know, if he, if, if they rented or made the facility, sorry, if they made the facility available for free as, you know, by way of, you know, providing political support to Trudeau, some people might have a beef. I mean, they're saying, okay, you've decided you support this guy, but the odds are against that. I'm sure that it was a facility rental. There was food, there was Ontario beer being served and, uh, and charged for. So, I mean, it's a legitimate business operation in that case. And I don't think it warrants this kind of attack. And I, and I have attended events you know i'm i'm not a fan of justin trudeau as it's obvious some days so but uh, you know i have attended events and i have seen uh, the kind of level of viciousness that goes on outside of these events and around them with people circling with pickup trucks and flags uh and obviously posting online and and people walk right up to you and 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 start filming you uh as a way of kind of threatening you this is just not cricket it's not canada uh it's not who we are so i i do i do support uh, these folks in this case Yeah, Bob Richardson, Scott Reed was observing earlier this morning that we've reached the point where it's not good enough to oppose the politicians you don't like. You have to hate them. Yeah, I think that's really, really bad. And we've got to get away from that. We need to restore some respect. And it's respect, if not for the individual, for the office of prime minister. And let's remember, whether you like this guy or dislike this guy, uh, he's run for office three times and three times he's ended up being prime minister. It was just like with Mike Harris. People used to be really inappropriate with Mike Harris. Well, you know what? Somebody must have liked him because they got back-to-back majority governments. So I think we need to reestablish some respect for the office of prime minister. And uh, I really, really don't want our society to move in this direction. I just don't think any good comes of it. Uh, let's move to international affairs for a moment. And then I've got a couple of lifestyle stories for you that I really like. Uh, but uh, the head of NATO is slamming Donald Trump after Trump said that basically Putin can do what he wants because nobody's doing the heavy lifting in NATO. I mean, NATO is what was organized to keep the peace after World War II destroyed Europe. And if we start dismantling NATO, then we're kind of saying, hey, Hitler was OK. Let's try it again. Uh, let me start with uh, Pavan Brach on this. 
Yeah, I have zero issue with the criticism that NATO partners should be paying their fair share. I have zero issues with that. And I have I am profoundly disturbed, obviously, like many other people with the second half of his comment, which is that we're not going to show up if you're needed. So it is it is, uh, you know, disturbing, disturbing. I mean, 75,000 soldiers, people have given their lives in Ukraine. They're dead. Uh, and the impact to families, et cetera. I mean, this is a serious situation that could expand. We all know that. So, uh, you know, for us as Canadians, we're, we're providing uh, arm, arms. I do agree. You know, you asked an earlier question, John, about whether whether that should be counted towards uh, our, our contribution to NATO. And I think it, it does. It should count. But having said that, you know, Canada itself uh, uh, has one of the largest borders with Russia. And we don't think about it a lot. But, it, you know, it is true uh, in the north. And and they're partnering up with some other folks, as we know, uh, and we have some significant issues and our armed forces are not there. So we do have to pull up our socks. Uh, and I think the criticism is valid on the spending side. Bob Richardson, um, your thoughts. Look, uh, I think, number one, we need to ignore Trump a lot more than we do. I think the media is playing right into his game. Publicity is this guy's oxygen. That's what he's looking for all the time. His statements are, are increasingly more unhinged. Uh, and he'll say just about anything to get airtime. Ignore him. That's what we need to do. That would be a great step forward. Okay, but ignoring him, Michelle Morrow, if he becomes the president and starts following through on a lot of this stuff, it's going to be pretty scary. Yeah, he's been when he was in office, he did put a lot of pressure on NATO to sort of step up their contributions. And as He's not wrong in the fact that countries are not um, pledging, are not giving as much as they had pledged. But the way you go about it is what matters, I think, as well. Making these one-off statements like Trump does doesn't settle anything. It just it makes it just lights everything on fire around him. It fires up everyone, and it makes our allies, people who are important to us, um, very nervous. And I think it's interesting that he didn't call out specific countries, but he also didn't notice that I didn't bother to say that the people around Ukraine, which is what he was inferring with this conversation, have actually paid over their dues. They have really stepped up and tried to pour into NATO as much as they can to support what's happening. And I wish that it wasn't just like a broad swipe of like America is the only one who's making their contributions, because that's not the case. We're returning to the trough again for a conversation about Gen Z, but I like this because I do think this generation is very different. And this coverage, this particular feature is about how Gen Z are considered lazy at work. Although, again, in the same coverage, what they say is maybe they're they're just better at setting boundaries. These, these are the hours I want to work. This is how long my lunch is going to be. This is when I'm going to the gym. Whatever. I'll do the work, but I'll do it on my own terms. Bob Richardson. Uh, I don't think uh, Gen Z is lazy. Uh, I think they're smart, and I think they're really smart, and I think they can get a lot more accomplished in a shorter period of time than I could have when I was their age. So I, I say kudos to them. Um I, I do, th and I do think that they're better uh, at setting uh, boundaries and having more of a balanced life, and I, I give them credit for that. I do think they go a little bit over the top sometime uh, about uh, about those definitions. I also, I also think that people should be more and more working in offices, not necessarily at home. I think we're missing out on group interactions and team approach. Which, uh, which really helps clients and really helps uh, individuals. So uh, 
on balance, I'm uh, I'm for Team uh, Gen Z. All right, Pavan. I don't know in your many businesses if you actually have employees. Uh, do you have, employ any Gen Zs? I do, I do, and we get along great. <laughs> no, you know they. Uh, it's a force for sure, and 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 they do have some points. At sixty, you know, years of age myself, I joke that I can still outwork any thirty-year-old. Uh, but you know, when you start to look at the impact uh, to all of us on our health, uh, and you know, mental health has become a big issue for a lot of folks. Our diabetes numbers have doubled since two thousand. We've got uh, you know weight issues, et cetera. So, you know, I would I do support you know kind of a work-life health balance. I think that's critically important, and and I do know that uh, you know uh, you know in some cases employers are uh, kind of penny wise and pound foolish. We can say, oh, you need to keep working and 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 not focus on other things, and the job is your life, and that's kind of been how some of us have been raised, you know, to work like that. But when you start to add up the impact. Uh, to the business financially on, you know, from a, from a health perspective, when you look at absenteeism due to illness, presenteeism, uh, all the costs for chronic disease management, you know, where we've got kids, you know, people are increasingly, you know, developing all these chronic diseases that end up costing benefits, uh, you know, systems, a lot of money, $12,000 a year for a diabetic when they're fully developed. So, you know, there is, there is some sense to, uh, to the balance. And I do, I do support that. And Michelle, not a lot of time left, but I think one of the reasons why people think Gen Z is lazy is because Gen Z works on its own terms. And one of the reasons it does that is because employers have shown no interest in Gen Z's, uh, you know, career development or even their person. Absolutely. We, uh, a lot of my friends, again, referencing my friends again, but a lot of us that we have no job security. It's, we are told over and over again that we could be fired at any point that we are replaceable. So why would I take a phone call at seven o'clock at night if I don't have to? And I think a lot of us grew up watching our parents working crazy hours and that's not something we want for ourselves. And I think you need to recognize that if you give me work and give me a time parameter, I will get it done in that time. And that should be what matters. Not that I answer an email at nine o'clock at night. Thank you very much. Good to have you this morning. Pavan Brach, Michelle Morrow, and Bob Richardson. Catch the roundtable. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.